for the last two Sundays, we have had, you talking about altar services. Man, we have been in the presence of the Lord talking about extravagant worship. And when God shows up and gets close and whispers in your ear, He can say some incredible things. And we realized last week we talked about private worship. And then we talked about your private worship spilling over into the uh, public display of what you practice privately. And we come up with this. We thought that Jesus was the greatest example of worship by laying down His life according to Philippians chapter 2. It says He was emptied out, emptied out to the point of death. Not just death, but the death of a cross. And He was willing to go on that last night. He was willing to have dinner and wash the feet of people that He knew that would deny Him. He went to a garden knowing that he took three of his closest of friends and they went to sleep on him as he prayed three separate times. God the Father, if there's any other way, let there be another way. But you know what? At the conclusion of each and every prayer, worship started when he said, Not not my will, but your will be done. And he was willing to lay down his life to pay. And because of that sacrifice, the Father shook the earth. And the power of redemption has been ringing in the hearts and lives and freeing the soul of man that was once bound by sin. From the moment that that first blood was shed at a cross on Calvary's hill to today, the power of the blood has never lost its power. Can somebody say amen? But today, I get the privilege of talking about the pillar of faith. I'm not talking about just believing in something. I'm talking about going one step further. See, the Bible talks about faith in two categories. It tells us, one, that there's a category that it is given to each and every man, woman, boy, and girl, a measure of faith to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ as being their Savior. But it also talks in the book of Corinthians about the gifts of the Holy Spirit having a gift of faith. What is this faith today? And I I want you to understand that I'm going to do my best to communicate because I believe that this is one of the most important tenets of your faith according to Scripture. So instead of me reading a text and telling a story, I'm going to talk about two men today, Caleb and Elijah. But before I do that, will you allow me to pray? Father, today I ask you for the anointing power of the Holy Spirit that makes preaching powerful and that makes the uh, Word of God come alive. I can't do that in my human ability. But Father, I ask for the enablement of the Holy Spirit to illuminate your Word and let it catch fire in the hearts of your people. And I give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said... You know, the Bible talks about faith in such a drastic way that I think it, that's where we should start. Did you realize that the Bible literally tells you it doesn't need you to interpret the Greek in this, in this passage? It literally just openly tells you it is impossible to please God without faith. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 said, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe. So if it's something that God says that it is impossible, when God uses the word impossible, that's very important to us as people. And we should take note of what He says is impossible. And He tells us right up front, it's impossible to please me without faith. So if we are going to need faith to please God, then we really have to start with a definition. What does faith even mean? And so a lot of times we go straight to the Bible and we start talking, you know, what Scripture says. But, you know, sometimes it's good to start outside the Bible and work our way back into the Bible to find out how does the world compare to what God says. And so I started this week by saying, well, what's the dictionary say about faith? You know, that Webster guy. You know, not St. Webster, just Webster. 
And this is what he said about faith. Faith is confidence or trust in a person or thing. Belief not based on, on proof. I'm going to say that again. Faith is the confidence or trust in a person or a thing. Belief not based on proof. So if you have proof of something, that means that there's very little, if any, faith that is required. But when you start believing and have convictions about what you believe, and it is something that is yet not realized in the natural or reality, but you are now accepting something like, let's take for a poll. How many of you have ever seen God? Raise your hand. That's good. Now we know nobody lies. You know why? Because the Bible says anybody that sees God dies. It said no man has seen God and lived. You may have seen a glimpse of His glory, but you have not seen the totality of God in His essence or you couldn't handle it in your flesh. So by the fact that nobody raised their hand, look at your neighbor and tell them, I'm glad you told the truth today. <laughs> but now let's go to that same chapter in the book of Hebrews and find out what the Bible says is the definition of faith. I'm gonna, they're going to put it up in a more modern version. I'm going to quote what was instilled in my heart in seminary. I had to memorize the scripture that uh, was King James Version. And no, King James Version is not the only version or a right version. It's the one I memorized. And it says this, now faith. So look at your neighbor again and say, now faith. Is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So now we have a mirror between the dictionary and the Bible that, that comes to a conclusion. If you can see it, it's probably not faith. That it's going to require you believing without proof or you believing in something that you have not yet seen. And it is something that goes past just the surface of believing. It's talking about a conviction, a belief that becomes a conviction. I believe that there's a moon that's going to come out tonight, but it doesn't change my behavior. But I have a belief that's so strong and convicting that I believe that the Son of God come to earth in the form of a man. I believe He lived about 33 and a half years. I believe that He went to a cross. I believe He preached the gospel and preached the kingdom. I believe that He died sinless on a cross. And not only did He die on a cross, but He took my sins with Him to the cross and then resurrected from the dead. And I have a conviction to believe that has changed my entire life with that fact. Can somebody else say amen? That's the faith I'm talking about. Because faith, in that, when it starts to move the way you behave and starts to modify how you live your life, when you start believing in something that you don't yet have proof for, a lot of people struggle with faith because they're waiting on proof. Have you ever noticed that God doesn't take very kindly to people saying, show me a sign and I'll believe you? He's like, okay, let's try this. You're standing upright, have clarity of your mind and are still breathing. How's that sign for you? I mean, that's pretty good right there. That's good preaching. <laughs> but there is a difference between faith and the antithesis of that is fear. And the majority of people walking around the face of this planet are more motivated by fear than they are faith. But I'm going to bring you a character today. His name is Caleb. When you get introduced to him, he's 40 years old. By the time that he ends his story, he's 85. And this man has a faith that goes off the charts. 
I'm not talking about just a mere I believe in God. I'm talking about believing in God because he has lived through some stuff that he has seen that God's faithfulness is so overwhelming that there is nothing that he believes is impossible with God. He is 40 years old. He's part of a spy team. He's, he's kind of like special forces. And he gets with t 11 other guys. There's 12 of them total. And they are commissioned and purposed to go over and gain reconnaissance of the promised land. Now sometimes faith confuses the natural facts. And it goes one step beyond what is believable. And so they go over there. And this man comes back and they come back divided. And I told first service today, sometimes we get in a lot of trouble when we have church votes. Amen. He said, Pastor, I love to vote. Yeah, but we really need to pray and seek God before we raise our hand because sometimes the worst thing that can happen is that God puts the decision in your hands and you choose the wrong thing. This is one of those stories. They had a church vote lost 10 to 2. Cost them 40 years wandering around a desert. Because 10 of the guys come back fearful. Two of the guys come back motivated by faith. These two guys over here in this group, we're going to call this side the faith group. You guys sat on the wrong side today. This side is the faith group and there's only two of them. And they are like, let's go right now. I'm not talking about let's waiting for later. I'm talking about let's go. Right. I come home across the Jordan River to pack my bags and go where God told me I could go and do what he said I could do and possess what he said I could have. And I want to get you guys together. They got all Israel together. They got close enough to hear. And this dude stands up at 40 years of age and preaches. I'm talking about a great sermon. Listen to what he says. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw there are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seemed to them. Now, this is how it starts out. Let me use my imagination. This dude gets up and preaches and says, hey, let's go right now. You know why we can go right now? Because God has been faithful to us every step of the way until this moment. He has caused us to break the bondages of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. We have seen him rain out plague after plague after plague because God's arm is strong. And he broke us free from the strongest army in the world and then wanted to flex his muscle again when they changed their mind. He got us all the way to the Red Sea, blew his breath, and the waters divided and we walked through on dry ground. We didn't really get it then because we still grumbled three days later. Then he caused water to come out of a rock and bread has fallen from the sky up until this moment. We've gone over there and everything God said would be there is there. Let's go right now. He's waiting for an amen. And he didn't get an amen. He got a big oh me. Because this group over here said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Crazy talk over there. 
because he don't know what he's saying. They got big cities, big walls. Their military is more fortified than us. They're more advanced in their weaponry. There is no capable way. There's no possible way we can go over there and militarily overcome them. We don't even... The first city's Jericho. They got big walls. Look around you, friend. All we got, spears and swords. Anybody ever watch those old movies where they have the catapult where they throw that fiery ball or that big rock and it knocks a hole in the wall? They didn't have any of them. They're like, we can't even go over and win the first battle. And this is the difference between faith and fear. Fear will always... You say, Pastor, I don't know if I really live by faith or live by fear. How do you evaluate yourself? Because... Fear will make you take present circumstances of the way things look right now and it'll make it, your present circumstance, you will compare it to the frailty of your humanity. And you will come up to one conclusion. It's impossible. That's the truth. And the bad part about it is, is both things can be contagious. And fear starts to get contagious through the camp of Israel And they said this, you know, uh, the difference between comparing the present circumstances against the frailty of your humanity is that when doctors come and tell you things like it's beyond uh, things that we can do for you, then you are now lost because you are now comparing your present reality to the reality of that you're frail and you are going to probably more than likely die. But the people of faith say, I'm not comparing my present reality based upon the frailty of my humanity because I will lose that battle every time. But let's compare the frailty of my, or the, the basics of the emergency of my reality to the sovereignty of an almighty God. Let's quit comparing it to me. Let's compare it to Him. And if we get it to Him, now I can have faith to believe all things are possible. Because this is the thing that gets contagious. This thing I hate about people that live in fear. If you don't hush, you get other people convinced to live in fear. And you complain about your present reality, even though you've established the boundaries. Did you notice what the Word of God said? He said they said this, when we compared what we saw to us, we found out that we look like bugs, grasshoppers. Look at your neighbor and tell them, don't be a bug. You know why? The moment that they perceived themselves as being small, they convinced the enemy they were small. The Bible says we convinced ourselves we were grasshopper and thus, since we convinced ourselves we were grasshopper, our enemy believed we were grasshoppers too. But these dudes over here were waving the flag going, no, 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 no. Crazy people. I'm no bug. I'm a man of war. Oh my God. We need people of war. I'm not talking about the conflict between man and man. We need the men of war to stand up against the heavenlies of, uh, of the kingdom of darkness and declare, our general is the general of light and he will conquer all darkness enabling us to glorify him in the battle of good versus evil. Amen. That's just free. That wasn't even in the outline. Then they vote 10 to 2. They convince Israel to wait. 40 years pass by. In the 40th year, they go over and start winning some small 
battles like Jericho. They lose Ai the first time, have to go back and do it again. Now it's in the 45th year. They finally have now secured several victories in battle. And they are now, the, the tide has tipped and they're about to possess the land that God told them they could have 45 years old earlier. And an 85-year-old man shows back up. And he said, I was standing in this position 45 years ago talking to Moses. And I believe God could have done it then and these crazy people decided that we couldn't do it and we look like grasshoppers. I've never been a grasshopper. I'm not going to confess I'm a grasshopper now. I'm a man of war then and I'm a man of war now. I'm 85 years old and there was a, there was a mountain over here that Moses promised me that inhabited was inhabited by the tallest of the tallest that those ten guys were afraid of. And I've come to collect my inheritance because I'm going to demonstrate before my children and children's children's children that they are yet to come what a man of faith looks like and I want the mountain of the giants and I'm going to conquer it. Joshua gives it to him. You know what happens? He wins against impossible odds. Can you imagine the first giant he faced? He said, man, I wanted to kill your daddy. 40 years ago because you were sitting on my stuff, intimidating our people, making us feel like grasshoppers, but you will do. <laughs> Surrender, get out, or get killed. <laughs> and God brought a victory. See, Matthew 26 states that our 19 verse 26 says but Jesus looked at them and said with man this is impossible but with God all things are possible I was a little country preacher before I come here out in the middle of nowhere in the panhandle and I went to a church I use this side in first service I'll use this side the building in which I pastored was no bigger than this these chairs it was about that wide and it went all the way back about that long that was it that was my whole church this right here boom whole building 600 people live there. I didn't know any better. God said, go. I went. I made a whole banner, like 20 feet long, of that scripture. And I put it over the choir. And I said, you know what, guys? We're going to see God do something that seems to be impossible. And... In first service, they have the table out here, the communion table. And on that communion table, I'll, I'll just grab it real quick. It's over here. This big old Bible. See, we had one of these too. I think every church is commissioned for every church to have one big Bible. <laughs> That's in case I lose all of my vision, I can come and read this. <laughs> and we had this big old Bible. And I said, I, well, God's fixing to send revival. And I don't want you to bring pictures of people that come to church with you. I want you to bring pictures of family members that are so far away from God that you think it's impossible for them to get saved. And they put it in that big Bible. Revival started hitting in that small community and we ended up being the largest church in the county and not only the largest church in the county but one of the top 25 in attendance in the entire denomination and not only that but literally people were coming home for vacation on Saturday because they didn't want to stay through Sunday because they wanted to get to the church that during worship services they want, didn't want to miss who was going to go up and grab that Bible and pull out a picture because last Tuesday somebody got saved. It seemed impossible, but God made all things possible. Now let me hurry up and get over here to Elijah. 
Elijah was this prophet that was, had a bounty on his head. Ahab wanted to kill him because he kept uh, prophesying about um, the judgment of idolatry and they were serving idols which I have never understood. It's hard for me to worship something that I've made. Let me give you a good example. Let's say that this is my idol. Okay, It's hard for me to worship something that I have the power to move. Like I could tell that bottle right there, you're going to be wherever I tell you to be. You're going to sit in the front row. You're going to get up on the stage. You're going to sit right there. Anything you can control is not God. It may be comfortable to you because that water bottle can't talk back. But the moment you get in a real relationship with the real God, so he was prophesying about the, the ills of idolatry and it had caused a famine for three and a half years. It had not rained nor the moisture of dew even. You go through a famine for 12 months, you're on the cover of National Geographic. It looks like a desert. All the animals have their ribs, they're all shriveled up and so are the people. Can you imagine three and a half years? This dude says, you know what, it's time for us to come to an opinion here among us as a, as a nation. And I want you to go get the king. And I know he's after me. I know he could kill me. But go get him and all the people and tell them to go to Mount Carmel. I'm going to meet them up on the top. This is what we're going to do. We're going to find out. We're going to build two altars. We're going to give the prophets of Baal their opportunity. And they're going to do their thing. And we're going to see if Baal has the power to answer by fire. If he doesn't answer, then I'm going to do my thing. And I'm going to worship the real God and he will answer by fire but we're going to whomever the God is that answers by fire that's the one we're going to serve everybody said okay that sounds like a great plan this dude gets everybody up there and the prophets of Baal they're like 450 of them they're jumping they're dancing they're singing they're even cutting themselves you're talking about commitment they're bleeding on the stuff no fire because that water bottle cannot hear me that bottle cannot respond that bottle cannot move. That bottle certainly cannot send fire. Huh. Didn't matter how much they wanted to believe. I mean, I'm about to get into some of the social ills of our time. I'm trying, I'm trying to preach this thing without getting all uh, stepping over stuff. It don't matter how much you believe something if the facts are it's not true. I know there's a lot of gender confusion. And if you have gender confusion, we have compassion for you. And we are driven by mercy and love for you. But if you find yourself in the presence of the one that created he, you, he can tell you who you are. Because I don't care how much you believe, you may be able to get everybody in your section to believe you're a bird. But if you jump up on this roof and you run off to the end of this building, you'll find out it doesn't matter how much you believe. You don't have any feathers and you are going to come crashing to the ground. You'll believe it all the way to the, to the ground. Bam! You're going to roll over and have like three broken bones and say, you know what? I'm not a bird. But that was free too. I didn't even preach that in first service. That's just free. All right. Baal didn't answer. And then the prophet does something that's uncharacteristic of the modern church. Okay? He was willing to get his hands dirty. Just because you have faith doesn't mean God's going to do it all for you. All right, so he didn't go, in the name of Jesus, altar appear. No, he, he just got rocks and built him an altar. 
Matter of fact, the Bible says he rebuilt the old altar that the enemy had torn down. He said, oh, that one will do. Let me just get it back to its shape. And then once he got the altar built, then he took 12 rocks. Seemed like it was insignificant. He said, I want us to remember where we come from. It's not enough for just fire to fall and you to be sorry for what you're doing by worshiping a piece of stone. I want you to remember who you are. So he got 12 stones and said, these represent the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of, uh, of Jacob. I wanted you to know that our great, 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 great grandfather Abraham heard God and had faith to believe that he was going to a place that he knew not not of, but he knew God would go with him. He got 12 rocks. Then he took a shovel. Now, we're down to like a church of 30 people now. When you tell them, all right, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to build an altar. And, and that the crowd diminishes. And then you're going to tell them, okay, now we're going to remember where we came from so we can look back, so we can look forward. And that's really going to diminish it to about 100. And then you're going to lose 70 more people when you start passing out shovels. <laughs> Digs him a ditch. All the way around. And he said, now I'm wanting to offer something. Now, he cuts the sacrifice up itself. He's the only one. He is bloody. He's dirty. He's sweaty. He's dug holes. He's built altars. He's got blood all over him. He's got the sacrifice in place. And then he says this. Um, By the way, I need the most precious thing in all of the land. Bring me some water. You know that thing we don't have enough of? Bring me some water. Pour it on it. What? Yeah, pour it on it. Yeah, do it two more times. To now the sacrifice is dripping with water. The altar is dripping with water. So much water has been now on the sacrifice. It's dripped into the ditch and the ditch is high to the rim with water. Now this is a good thing for us to remember. Now you have finally gotten to the place where you need faith because it's impossible for water to catch on fire. Uh, Let's just test it. Amy, you can get ready to play me something. It'll tell me to hurry. Let's test it. How many of you have ever grilled? Say amen. How many of you have soaked your coals in water? Most of you, don't you put the lighter fluid on it? And then you, woo. And y'all, I'm really bad at patience. And so it dies down because I never really saturate it really good because I like the woof. And so I had to, I use a whole bottle of that stuff. (laughs) Michelle was so concerned about me, she just bought me a propane grill. (laughs) But now we finally have a sacrifice that's so waterlogged that it's impossible to catch on fire. And he said, yeah, that's just the position we need to be in because I want you to know that it's impossible for me to cause fire to come from heaven. But I'm going to pray 63 words, and in 63 words, let's see what happens. At the 63rd word, God uh, God descends in fire, takes the sacrifice, consumes the altar, disappears the 12 stones, then licks up the water in the ditch just to show himself mighty. Brings revival. Revival brought repentance. But here's the thing, you can play. I've preached all that to get you stirred, to get you to this point. We're a people that's used to fire. But here's the thing. Fire didn't cure the condition. Fire didn't cure the famine. Fire just brought revival. Revival brought repentance, and repentance prepared them to get healed. Because not only did they need healing, 
the land needed to recover from the famine and the only way that's possible is rain. See, we're good at praying 63 words and seeing God show off. But how many of you have enough faith to pray for rain? 63 words, Ralph brought fire. This is what it looked like the first time he prayed for rain. Dear Heavenly Father, I love how Pastor Vernon prays. Dear Heavenly Father, send us rain. We need it. We're dry and thirsty. People are barely surviving. And we don't even know what it's like to have an abundance. We just have always been, we just prayed yesterday just to have enough breath to live one more day. But we want, we want to break the cycle of the curse. We've broken away from the idolatry. We're worshiping a, a, the true God, sin rain. He tells his servant, go back up on the hill. Tell me what you see. He goes up there, looks, and goes, ah, didn't happen like last time. No cloud in the sky. What? No cloud in the sky. Do you know what he told the king before he prayed the first time? Put that scripture up there, that, that what he told the king. One of the last ones in the outline. And Elijah said to Ahab, get up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of a rushing of rain. In one translation, it says abundance of rain. He heard something that he could not see. And he started to pray based on what he heard, not what the present reality of what he saw. See, we got a lot of fruit inspectors in the church trying to, to get, make you aware of what they presently see. But sometimes God doesn't even make sense because he'll go look for somebody that's going to be the next prophet in a place you'd never go look for them. Sometimes he'll roll them out of a cardboard box because he hears something you can't yet see. He hears them preaching in a redeemed state, transformed by the power of the gospel. All you see is somebody holds a sign and says, we'll work for food. That'll preach right there. You know what he did? What we need to have more of, a little gumption. He knelt back down again and prayed again. And you know what happened? Went back up on the hill. He said, man, there's still nothing happening. He said, oh man, but it's sounding, it's sounding like it's getting one step closer. He prayed again. Seven times he prayed. This is what wipes me out. On the seventh time, the servant runs up to the top of the mountain, looks up. And you know what? When God answers something that, and it's in a way you didn't think he should. Seven times he comes back. You, you wouldn't think God, after seven times of the man of God praying, he had to send a hurricane. Lightning and thunder, the clouds filling the, uh, the sky. He said, no, all I see is the cloud, the size of a man's hand. He never prays again. He said, that's just, as, that's just where God's going to say the impossible to be possible. Because by in the morning, the stock market's going to change and they're going to be selling flour for pennies at the gate of the city because out of a cloud the size of a man's hand, God is going to cure the famine and heal the land. I want to know, do we have a church that will not only see in the present reality with our eyes, but will we have enough gumption and faith to turn our ear toward heaven and say, God, give me a sound that I cannot yet hear to where I can believe in something that sounds like it's impossible to believe in something with a foundation that of, based on your faithfulness that you will never fail. I don't want another person from Citygate. When we go in the bus, Matt, I want nobody going into neighborhoods 
that, that look at the neighborhood and say, yep, young men here are more likely to go to prison than college. No, that's what we see in our present reality. But I want a driver that will get behind the bus and say, I see what the tortures of sin have caused to this earth. But I hear a sound from heaven that is bigger than the substitute of our current reality. I hear rain coming to a community where revival starts to bring repentance and repentance brings rain and the famine caused by the drought of sin and the thirsting of one's soul can be quenched by the power of an almighty God. Who are we going to be well, Pastor, I can believe for the impossible. Can you? I, I, I already preached it. I'm going to teach it after the service to our leaders. Where do you go find elders? Let's start with where do you find disciples? Jesus didn't go to the temple. He went to the docks. He went to the beach and found a guy strung out on drugs and said, you a pastor. I said, what? <laughs> I beg your pardon? Yeah, I hear you preaching in your future and you don't even know it yet. I hear rain coming to quench the thirsting of your soul. We got an elder that's given his public testimony said, I tested positive for everything in detox on the strip. And if God could do that, what can he do in neighborhoods? Because I wouldn't go to detox to find elders. But the Holy Spirit said, yep, I know you're a mess right now. And everybody around you only sees the present condition of the thirsting of your soul. But I hear rain coming that will swamp over you and transform you by the power of the blood of Jesus. So many people are hindered by what they currently perceive their sinful position to be. But what happens when rain comes on you? God can use you to do anything and be a part of the impossible.